Good morning, everyone. That was kind of bland. Let's try this again. Everybody say good morning. Good morning. Amen. That's a little better. Uh, thank you, Seth, for my wonderful mask here. It's got the bridge wrote on it. Faith, hope, and love. It's that simple. Um, during COVID and the restrictions we have and all the things of wearing masks around, it's good to have one of uh, that has some words on it that describes hope and love and faith, and it allows it to be simple because Christianity should be simple. Amen? Yeah. Our faith should be a simple faith. And wonderful job last week by Pastor Dusty on the message. Amen. How many enjoyed that? I, I was tickled to death to watch everybody get involved and be active and uh, use the time to fellowship and uh, uh, to pick teams if you wanted to. You know, just always pick the winning team. That's the best thing to do. That's what Dennis did. Uh, I was right there with you, sir. I was going to be on the winning team. That's the one I want to be on. And God's team is the winning team. Amen. Last weekend, everybody had a great time, and uh, appreciate Pastor Dusty uh, taking us through the first of the 16 fundamental truths in that uh, the Word of God, it's forever established. We don't have to doubt it. Uh, we don't have to look back and say, I wonder if uh, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is true and that it is steadfast, it's unmovable, and it will always be the truth, and it applies to our life. Uh, this week we are beginning a new series entitled Love Is and Love Is Not. And as we go into the, this sermon series for the next couple of weeks, and yeah, we're going to have a uh, vision meeting next week, but it will be about love, I assure you that. And this church is a church of love, and I hope you feel that, I hope you sense that, I hope you understand that, and I hope you exemplify that in your life. Amen. God's church should be known as a place of love. Amen. And love is what God wants us to be. And love is what God wants us to do. Amen. The church shouldn't be a church of words, but a church of action. Amen. And let our words speak, but also let our actions speak even louder. Um, I want to take our text for this whole series uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to read that to you today. It's known as the love chapter in the Bible. It's one that's read at many weddings. Uh, it's a, a section of the Bible that is very true, that speaks to us, and it's something I think that we can glean some insight from. And uh, If you're not married today, uh, this still applies to you. If you're married today, this applies to you. If you're engaged to be married, this applies to you. If you've never been engaged to married, this still applies to you. Amen. Everybody in the room, these verses are for you. Dusty told us last week that the Bible is for us. Amen. And it establishes our goings. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to start at verse 1, and we're going to read through. There's 13 verses. Uh, we'll get through it here fairly quickly. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Love thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a Understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall, I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide a faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest is love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray today that you would apply it to our hearts. God, that your Bible tells us that your word would be engrafted in our hearts. Lord, that it would grow there. And God, I pray today that this word that is spoken, God, will take seat in the hearts of the people in this room and for those watching. And God, I pray today that we would apply it, and Lord, we would live it out. And God, that we would become a church known as a church as action that has love not only in words, but also in deeds. God, help us to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. And sure, we're beginning this series about love on Valentine's Day. Aww. Everybody see my wonderful post about Leslie and, and you know, my great Valentine's Day wish to Leslie? And she didn't respond because she knows better. Uh, aw, it's so wonderful. Did you read it? You're supposed to feel sorry for me, Savannah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Come on now. Come on now. Oh, it's early, but wrap it up, wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the deer slayer. Everybody else was posting all that Valentine's sappy junk, and I was like, I'm going to mix this up a little bit. I'm going to. I want to throw some, some salt in there. Amen. Valentine's Day is a wonderful day, and it's a wonderful occasion every year annually that the world uh, turns their face from hate towards love. So we live 364 days of hate, and we live one day in love. Amen. It uh, helps us to see uh, a picture of God. And the holiday uh, was founded, and you go back and study the history of it, and St. Valentine was a guy that was martyred uh, and wrote a love note early on in the church to a person that he had seen uh, healed. And according to history, uh, that note was upon the day that he would be killed and martyred for his belief in Jesus. We should love unconditionally. And it's amazing how that the world 
that we live in bases everything around monetary value and how that love is known today in the gifts. And I look back through and just thought about, well, I wonder how much money is spent on love this one day a year. And they're projecting this year $21.8 billion U.S. dollars to be spent on Valentine's Day. $21 billion. That is a lot of money. How many knows money does, does not equal love? Amen? Scripture teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil. So it doesn't matter what you spend. It matters how much you love. And looking back through the history here, that they was kindly saddened in the report I read about that dollar amount. Back in 2011, there was $15.7 billion spent. And as you go forward and progress, it continually climbs annually year after year. But last year, it was $27.4 billion spent in 2020. And that was right before COVID hit. But it's dropping by $6 billion this year, and the market is scared of that. But I believe that love can be a simple card. Amen? If you get a love note from a little kid, and they write on their eye and a big heart and, and write you on it, and they don't put their words or letters in correct form, and some of them's backwards and all that stuff, Usually that means more than even the fancy greeting card. Amen? So as we look at that, let's not worry about how much we spend. Because love is not money. Love is thoughts and love is action. But if we're going to talk about love and what the Bible says about love. In 1 Corinthians 13, I, I want to get there, but I want to just jump over for a second and talk about some things about marriage because I believe it's imperative that the church speaks about marriage because the Bible talks about marriage. And if Dusty told us last week that all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for us, then we have to look at those verses about marriage and the one that stuck out to me that I, I constantly think of when I think about the word uh, marriage, it's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Everybody say that with me. Let marriage be held in honor among all. In the world in which we're living, we need to have a stance as a church that we believe in marriage. Amen? That it is a ordained thing by God. Even all the way back into Genesis where that God told the beginning and the founding people that he created that man would leave his father and mother and would cleave to his wife. That there is a marriage it is a symbolic thing that God 
declared and decreed as a thing to be cherished. So if you're married today and your spouse is here, I want you to look over at them, just give them a big smile and say, Happy Valentine's. Happy Valentine's. Aw. <laughs> Lean your head and just go, Aw. Aw. Isn't that just beautiful? <laughs> I, the best way I can. I just, I just love her unconditionally either way. Aw. Just, just, just that awe makes it better, doesn't it? But I, as a pastor, is sometimes am called upon to, to lead people in marriage counseling. And anybody that's married in this room today knows marriage is hard. Amen. Come on, somebody. Speak truth here. Mar Earl, right? Marriage is hard. Say it, say it Earl. Say Amen. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah. Derek, go ahead. Say, say, marriage is hard. Amen. Amen. There you go. So we're agreeing on that, right? And ladies, you can say the same thing because it's even harder from the woman's point of view. Come on, women. Everybody, every woman in the room, let's say it together. Marriage is hard. Amen. There you go. All right, we got, we got that settled now. So as I go through marriage counseling, I've uh, seen marriages that were tattered and torn and on the brink of coming to a conclusion and an end. And the Bible speaks about that. And Moses gave an account for a divorce. And it's a word that Leslie tells me I'm not allowed to say. Pretty good rule. Just take that word out of your vocabulary and say it's illegal. It's off limits. You're not allowed to say it. Am I saying I've never said it? No, I just said it a few seconds ago. But divorce is hard, and divorce is rough. And any of you that may have been through a divorce, you know the pain and the anguish and the destruction that it leaves in its wake. But as I go through these marriage counseling sessions, I found the best way to do it is through a book. And the book is known as the Five Love Languages. It's wrote by Gary Chapman, and it's years old. It's, I don't know how many years old, I, over 20 years old or somewhere thereabout. It's, it's an old book, but it's one of the classics, I believe, that helps build foundations in marriage. And it's named the five love languages because they're, in his, this author's opinion, that there's five different languages of love that is spoken in actions, sometimes not only words. So, one of them is words of affirmation. Another one is physical touch. Another one is receiving gifts. Another one is quality time. And the last but not least is acts of service. So if you've never read that book, I encourage you to read that book. So if you're young and you're contemplating marriage or thinking about marriage, it would be good to read this book before you begin your marriage and let it be a basis for you to go into marriage with this perception. And I've witnessed this book transform marriage and cause it to last where it about faltered. 
Because it gives you a mindset to look at marriage from a different perspective, from your spouse's perspective and not your own. But the thing is, you need to talk in the language of your spouse. So if your spouse's love language, and everybody has a, a number one love language and is backed up by a number two love language, and they, they go downward. But not everybody's the same. So if your spouse's love language is receiving gifts, and that's the love language they know how to talk, then the deal you need to do is go buy some gifts and give it to your spouse. And how you'll know what their love language is is by what they do. So if your spouse is somebody that gives you gifts all the time, I don't know, does anybody know their love language? Is your love language gifts? Receiving gifts? Anybody? That's your love language? Ain't nobody likes to receive gifts in here. Bull. So some people, if this is your love language, and this is what your spouse does, is they give you gifts, they're telling you that's your lo their love language. So in return, if you give them a gift, it's going to be a language that they can hear. Because you can give them all the words of affirmation you want, but if their love language is receiving gifts, you're talking in their own language. And there's communication breakdown. So these gifts are awesome in that it is language that is spoken in action, not only in words. So as I look through those and think about those, it's, it's something that we need to understand because love is actions love is providing for others and giving to others things you want to receive yourself and as I think about those love languages it takes me to the back to our our text that we read this morning and and yes, there's love languages that are out there. And I encourage you to read that book, to buy that book. Uh, you can get it in paperback. You can get it online, and you can look on a Kindle. I've got different, and there's all kinds of websites out there that, that it has, uh, through Gary Chapman, that has uh, aids where that you can work your way through that and, and worksheets and all kinds of stuff that you can do it as husband and wife. Uh, and it's a great uh, asset to the kingdom of God, I believe, because... Marriage is important, but marriage is hard. Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. So when we look at that and think about that, that love covers a multitude of sins, in marriage, if marriage is hard, then love will cover a multitude of faults. Amen? How many has some faults? Anybody, anybody willing to say, I, I got a fault or two? Yeah, yeah, okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, and that was a fault because lying is a fault, right? So it's sin. So we need to be honest, and we need to cover our faults and our failures and our shortcomings with love. Love will fix what is broken. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it starts out the first three verses, and it these are verses that are astounding to me because in knowing that this is a love chapter 
Paul the Apostle speaking to the church there at Corinth, he spells out a few things and he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Tongues of men and of angels. So there's languages of heaven and there's languages of earth. Amen? So as I look at that and think about that, the Apostle Paul is telling the people of the church there that he's, he's talking about, I can speak with tongues of men and angels. In my human existence here on this earth, I can speak with tongues of men and angels. But if I don't have love, I am absolutely nothing. And I've been around church long enough, and I've been around uh, different types of churches long enough, that I've seen this in reality. I've seen this in existence here on this earth. And as I think through those verses that Paul the Apostle is writing back to the church at Corinth, that Corinth was a church that had all these gifts, that had all these capabilities, that had everything that the Apostle Paul was speaking to the church. But he was telling them there's some stuff messed up. He had earlier on told the church at Corinth that a, a man shouldn't live with his father's wife. You, you got some things to take care of in-house. There's relationships they're out of bounds with God's word. Amen? So he's lining out the church. And he's speaking to the church and telling the church, let's get some things right. Let's set some things in order. And as he's doing that, he's speaking to this church, but he's doing it in love. Right? Sometimes the truth hurts. Amen. You can cover it up, but it's usually going to stink even more when you uncover it later. Amen. Air the dirty laundry. It'll air out. So as Paul is lining them out, he's doing it in love. But he's writing some things that are kind of controversial to the church that he's writing it to. Because there's some people in this church that are speaking in tongues of men and angels, but they're not doing it in love. So he's lining them out and telling them, live in love. This is a love chapter, and i got to start here because I can't have you thinking because you speak in tongues of men and angels that you've got the ability to do whatever you want. And you can be rude, and you can be crude, and you can be mean, and you can be all these things. It is not that. Love is not that. So as Paul's doing this, he's lining them out in love. Then he goes on, verse 2, and says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So he had just spoken in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you go back and study these things. Study 12, 13, and 14 in your, as we go through this series. Look at these three chapters and contextualize it, what Dusty said last week, right? We, we, you can take a verse out of context and make it say something you want it to say when it don't really say that at all. That's what the church is guilty of, amen? That we come up with all these doctrines, these belief systems, and we take one little verse and we'll compare it down and break it all the way down and say, this is what I believe because this one verse says it. But if we do it out of context, we're messing the whole thing up. So we've got to contextualize this thing. So as Paul is telling them these things, that yes, you can have prophecy. 
Is he telling them not to prophesy? Absolutely not. He's saying you can prophesy and do it in a mean fashion and not have love, and it accounts to nothing. You can understand mysteries and knowledge and have all the faith in the world that you can move mountains. And how many knows Jesus told us this? If you've got a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain, the mountain will be cast into the sea. That's pretty little. Mustard seed was one of the smallest seeds on the planet. And Jesus is saying if you had that much faith, you can move a mountain. How many's got some mountains you would like to move? Amen? you got something going on in your life, something going on in, in, in your marriage, something going on in your relationship at work, something going on everywhere that we're at. But if you have faith, Jesus said you can move mountains. But it, doesn't, it don't really matter if we don't do it with love. I would rather love than hate, wouldn't you? So as Paul is lining them out and he's telling these things that if you don't have love, you're nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I'm, I love doing that. How many loves giving to poor? How many loves to giving to those in need? How many loves uh, that we're a church known as the missions church, and we're going to talk about that next week, and I'm grateful for everything we do, whether it's missionally here locally in our own community, in our state, around the world. I'm glad that we're that type of church, and it's a good thing to do. But if we do that and then we're mean behind the scenes, Paul says, guess what? I have love. If I don't have love and I do that, it profits me nothing. So as I think about these languages that are Gary Chapman talks about and how that that's there's so much truth spoke spoken in that book that as I look through these these languages that are spoken about here. In 1 Corinthians 13, I think we have to break those down a little bit. That there's heavenly language and there's earthly language. And there's some mixed up theology out there on the gift of tongues. Everybody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh, Pastor Ben said it. Oh, no, now what? Maybe I won't be able to explain this. My friend's going to ask me about it. Why is he talking about that now? Please, No. Come on now. It's one of those taboo topics in a church. You're not allowed, oh, Lord, heaven forbid, ever say anything about the word tongues. There are some churches that won't even go. It's like they tear this page out of the Bible and say, oh, I can't talk about that. But how many knows all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? It's profitable for doctrine. This is what we base our life on, this book. And if this book talks about it, guess what? I have to talk about it. I don't do it a lot, and it shouldn't be first and foremost, and it shouldn't be something we browbeat everybody with and go on about it every week and just let go hog wild. Amen? Everybody say everything should be done in moderation. Paul said that. Amen? There's some moderation to some things. And as I think about those languages and, and what I've seen and studied through Scripture to know about languages, that these heavenly languages, it's a real thing. Do you think you're going to get to heaven someday and the, and the whole world up there in heaven is going to be talking in English? I hope not. Amen? I think the heavenly language is going to be a language that is so pure 
that bad words can't even exist. You hear me? I don't think the word evil will be something that's spoken in heaven. If it says there's no tears to dim the eye there, how many knows words hurt? Come on, somebody. These earthly languages that we got, whenever you speak words of hate, of mistreatment, of all those things, it hurts. Amen. I think in heaven there will be no words there that do those things because there's no tears in heaven. So these heavenly languages are something that I believe is something that happens to the field believer. And, and talking about that, it's some of our, we'll go through those in, in I Belong. We'll go through those in, in a few uh, sermons throughout the year this year where we're talking about the fundamental truths and what we believe as a church. But I believe that the gift of tongues is something that is one of the most controversial topics in the church. The people will say, I don't believe it. Then there's people that will say, I do believe it. And there's really a great gulf between the two. And neither side will agree on what I believe, about what they believe, and nobody will meet in the middle where common sense is. Amen? Scripture is true. Man's way is a lie, and man's way is a lie. God's word is truth. So if it says it, I believe it, and I don't even have to believe it to settle it, because if God said it, it's already settled anyway. Amen? People, you say that all the time. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It don't matter if you believe it or not. It's already settled. Amen? He, he's not taken back on his word. He's not going to say, oh, no, bend down there. Don't believe that. I don't, I don't know if I'll, I'll let that go on any longer. I'm going to take that out of my word now. His word is forever established in heaven. So as I look back through all these verses, here's, I just want to give you a few verses. that When we're talking about languages or these languages of men and angels, if you look in Acts chapter 2, you'll see, and we talked about it a lot of different times here at church, that in Acts chapter 2, we talked about it just a few weeks ago when we was going through our sermon series that we just came out of, Primal. That the early church, the day the church was birthed, that the disciples were in an upper room. They were praying. They were having a prayer meeting. It had gotten all the way down. Their numbers had, numbers had dwindled from 500 down to 120. And then the next thing you know, Jesus told them, tarry in Jerusalem, right? They're there hanging out, praying. Next thing you know, they're endued with power. It says, cloven tongues of fire set upon each of their head. And they went out in the street and they began to talk in languages that they didn't know. But it says the people there from all regions of the earth heard them speaking in languages and said, how does these men in Galilee speak the languages that I speak? Does that sound supernatural to you? How many believes that God has the ability or the power to call somebody to speak in a language that they don't even know if it's God's will? Amen? If it's His will... If I go over as a missionary in Japan or somewhere and land there, and I can't speak in Japanese, I believe God can do anything but fail. Amen? And if he wants to use this mouth to speak to somebody in a language that I don't know, good enough for me. Amen? I'll take it. Am I saying he does that every day, all day, with every Christian? No. Everybody say it's supernatural. That's where God puts his super on your natural. If you're not able, he is. 
Amen? So these languages that God spoke about there in Acts chapter 2 is a language of known tongues on earth. And I believe God gives the ability to people to speak in languages that they don't know or cannot speak because God can. Some people say, well, that's weird. Yeah, I know. Church is weird. Yeah, I know I'm weird. It's okay. Amen. It's going to be all right. So these tongues that are there are that. But then you can go into other scriptures and see where the tongues of men and angels that Paul is talking about here is a gift that God gives to the church to where the people can speak in unknown languages. It might be an earthly language, but it also can be a heavenly language. And it says in Romans chapter 8 that you will speak with groanings and utterances which cannot be understood. Romans chapter 8, and we're studying through that in, in our first week, our first uh, Wednesday's meetings through that, that uh, whole chapter, Romans chapter 8, and it says that whenever we don't know how to pray, that the Spirit in us can pray through us for us. How many ever had a point or something happen in your life and you didn't know how to pray? You didn't know the words to say. You was out and like, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to pray about this. The Spirit will pray through you for you. It's absolute truth. It's scripture. But it's in words that cannot be understood. I think that's the heavenly language. So all kinds of accounts all through the book of Acts, if you study through and you'll see all these places, and I just want to lay these out in this one message today in case somebody goes back and tries to pick this apart and try to understand what Pastor Ben's saying. And I, I can't go through all of it, but it's Acts chapter 8. Philip goes to Samaria, and this is a place where Jesus met the woman at the, at the well, and as he's talking to her, the whole city come to know him, and they knew the truth, and this is the Messiah. They all knew that. But then a few years later, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, next thing you know, there's a revival breaks out in Samaria. Philip goes there and preaches that Jesus had died and rose from the dead. He's the Messiah. And they believed. And when they believed, they began to go and tell all their neighbors. Next thing you know, revival broke out. How many would like to see revival break out? Amen. Go tell your neighbor how good God is. Go tell your neighbor that there's a Messiah, the Son of God, that rose from the dead and he changed my life. You don't have to go in and expound on everything. Just tell your story. And the city was shaken, plumb to its core, to its roots. And this was a city that wasn't, there was, there was a group of people that didn't have it all together. But guess what? God can bring it together. God can make sense of it. And as Philip's there preaching, next thing you know, the news had traveled that a revival had broke out in Samaria. And, and they're down there in Jerusalem and, and they're thinking, wow, what's going on in, in Samaria? I'd like to go see that too. Has anybody ever seen true revival? I'm not talking about a group of meetings where you invite an evangelist to come and speak or something like that. That's what we call revival in today's world. Revival is where people in the streets are coming to know Jesus because the saints are activated to go do the work of the ministry. Revival is where people are saved and baptized and come to the knowledge of Jesus. Revival is not a church service. I'm grateful the pastor of this church, and I'm grateful that I get to see, and it's year after year after year here at the bridge that we have seen dozens baptized every year. 
every year. That's revival to me. That's revival to see a room sitting here today that there's only two groups of seats here missing that's nobody sitting in them today. Ernie and Karen's missing. They always sit here. I don't know who sits here. Todd and Sandy, they're not here. Aunt Mary's not here. Mom's not here. Howie's not here. I can go to name you. Who all's not here? Betty's not here. Yeah, there's a lot of people not here. Valerie's not here. There's a lot of people. Pat's not here. There's a lot of people not here. You're sitting in the middle of a revival, whether you know it or not. I want to see a show of hands. How many has come to know Jesus in the last two years? Within the last two years that you gave your heart to Jesus. Amen. How awesome is that? Is that not revival? That is awesome, folks. That's a testament to what God is doing in us and through us. And it's nothing I'm doing. It's what he's doing. It's nothing Leslie's doing. It's what God's doing. And I'm grateful that you come to know him. Because when you know him, your life changes for the better. Amen? It's where true love is known. And God is allowing that to happen. And that was happening in Samaria. And Philip was there. And then Peter and the other disciple, they, they took off and headed up to Samaria to find out what's going on. And they got there. And what's going on? Well, everybody's getting saved. Everybody's getting baptized. Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? No. So it says Peter... Laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So this gives us a basis in Scripture to go back and formulate our doctrine according to Scripture as a whole. Acts chapter 10, Peter, Cornelius' house. Told it a few weeks ago, Peter on the roof, going down. Next thing you know, goes to Cornelius' house. The whole house gets saved. They're all filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they spoke with tongues. It's a, a symbolic thing that happened there. In Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus. He, he goes into this city, Ephesus. Hey, how are you guys doing? Well, everything's great here. Revival's going on. We're all getting saved. And everybody's getting baptized. Well, glory to God. Isn't that awesome? Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? Don't even know what you're talking about. Paul goes to him and he says, okay, here's how it goes. Here's what it's about. He lays hands on They all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's in the scripture that we need the correct languages of heaven and earth activated in earth now. Why? Because we need to do it in love. Come on, somebody. How many would like to talk better than you've been talking? Amen? We all talked a few weeks ago about, even on, on first Wednesday, about cussing. Got any cussers in the house? There we go. There's some honest people out there. Amen. There's some cussers in the house. Trying harder not to cuss. Bible tells us in, in Colossians to put profane things out of your mouth. Don't, don't cuss. Amen. It tells us not to. Scripture teaches us not to. But cussing isn't just a few four-letter words. Cussing is hating your neighbor. Amen. Bless and do not curse is what the Word of God says. I would rather have a new language that will help me speak the way God wants me to speak in love. Whether it's heavenly or earthly, it doesn't matter to me. I'm willing to give my mouth to him. Why? Because it's all his anyway. Come on, somebody. How many would like for God to talk through you like you haven't had him to talk through you before? Whether it's prophesying, whether it's this language, that language, doesn't matter to me. God just use me where I'm at to be an influence to those around me so I can be a better person. Amen? I want to do it in love. But I've been in churches, and it's known as the full gospel church. So full gospel means this, Pentecostal, 
charismatic, UPC, holiness. So there's all these different terminologies to put on churches and claim what is a full gospel church. A full gospel church is a church that believes this Bible from the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation. A full gospel church is a church that believes the entire scripture is truth, is undeniable, irrefutable, infallible. This is true. We are a full gospel church. I believe every word in this book. Am I saying I act out on every one of them? No, I don't. I fail miserably at a lot of these things it tells me to do. But I believe it to be true. But I've seen these full gospel churches, and I, I've went to all of them. When I first got saved, back in 1999, I got saved in an Assembly of God church up in Raisland. Next thing you know, I, my heart was filled with love. How many, when you got saved, just felt love just come over you, and it felt like it washed you clean, and you felt like, man, I'm renewed, I'm strengthened. I've never felt anything like this. I thought I knew love, but this is love. Amen. Love is salvation. So when God comes and he loves us and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, man, I, I looked around the world, I, I looked at people, and I was like, man, I, I love every church. How many loves the church? I'm not talking about the bridge. I'm talking about the global united church, the body that believes in Jesus. I love the church. So I'd read through the newspaper, Lewis County Herald, and I'd look, and I'd see a revival going on. I remember one time up at Black Oak uh, Christian Church. I didn't even know Lisette and them then. And, and I was, looked in there, and, and there was revival going to happen at, at, the, at the Christian Church up there. And I was like, Black Oak. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to go. Why? Because I love the church. But here I walk in, and, you know, I walk in and sit down, and everybody turns around like, during a revival service, I think I was the only weirdo there. I don't know what kind of revival they wanted, but... Andrew was probably there. I, and I, I was just remember sitting there and I think like, well, I'm an odd duck here. Come on, somebody. I'm going to love anyway. Amen. I'm going to sit here and love. And I'm going to love you like you don't love me. Amen. I'm going to love whether, no matter what. I'm just going to love. Amen. And I remember one old guy come up to me and he said, uh, when the old guy used to come to church here that just passed away. What was his name? Joe Fight, Joe Fight was there. And he walked up to me and, brother, what are you doing here? I said, I, I just come for revival. Amen. Amen. I want to be under the splout where the glory comes out. That's, that's what the old-timers used to say all the time. I want to be where God's glory is. And I want to be where that I lift my hands and I feel the God moving. I, I want to come to a church service where I can sense that God's doing something. Amen. I want to be where God is in motion and something's happening. And that's what I want our church to be. And I went in that church and I was like, man, I just hope I hear from God today. And I remember the preacher preaching, and he was a guy from the KCU over there, and he, he, he had come, and he, he was speaking, and, and next thing you know, they said, after the church service over, they closed, and they said, and I come from a pretty wild church up in Raceland, but it was kind of quiet, and it, it was great message, great worship, great everything. They said, okay, we'll have a dinner following the meeting this evening, and you're welcome to come into the back back here, and we're going to eat. Well, glory to God, somebody's going to feed me. I'm going, Amen. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Come on, somebody. So I walked back there in that back room, and everybody again, why didn't he leave? I'm sitting there eating. Their, I don't even remember what it was. I was sitting there eating their food. Man, next thing you know, that, that, that minister was over from KCU. He come back here. Uh, Sir, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Lewis County. Amen. You talk about food, we're going to show up. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And as I sat there and ate, and next thing you know, he started talking to me. Where are you from? Well, what church you go to? Well, I go to Assembly God Church. And he's like, 
does this guy even know where he's at? You're not allowed to go to another denomination. Oh, no. There's an assembly God person in our church. He didn't say that. He said, man, there's a lot of truth in all of our denominations. And the second he said that, love happened. You're allowed to be different. Amen. You're allowed to be different because that's who God is. And as I sat there, next thing you know, other people started coming over. Man, come back. Come back. That's how we should be as a church. It doesn't matter to me if you come from a Catholic background, from a Methodist background, from a Baptist background, from a Holiness background, from a Pentecostal background. There is a mixed bag of nuts sitting in this room today. Come on, somebody. There's some raisins in here, too. Might even be a few prunes. I don't know. I love trail mix. Glory to God. Amen. It's good stuff. <laughs> Pastor's preaching, ain't he? Amen. Good stuff here going on today. What Paul was telling them was that they were worshiping their gifts and not the gift giver. And some people think they're holy because they can speak in unknown tongues. And I've been in churches where that I, I've went some wildfire churches. I, I've been out there, Derek, where you grew up, man. I'm talking, they'll spit on you and everything else and preaching. Corn shucking, what I call it. Amen. They, they'll get with it. I love it. I've went to every type of church. I've been in Catholics. I've, I've, I've been in Methodist churches. I've been in Baptist churches. I've, I've been in Baptocostal churches. Marty Bentley even called it one time. He said, come on, we'll be Baptocostal, brother. I said, glory to God, Marty, I'll go with you to revival. We'll go out Petersville. And Marty got up there and just preached a message. And I was like, glory to God, Randy Thompson was there. And man, I love it when the church is united. Because love will cover a multitude of sins. And love will cover a multitude of denominations. God is bigger than us. Man, he'll change things if we allow him to. But our actions should speak louder than our words. You can say, I can, I can say I love somebody from a different denomination. I love Catholics. I love watching Father Michael Manning when I first got saved and he was a Catholic priest and he, he would talk about things and I thought, man, I love listening to him. I could turn over and listen to Robert Schuller in the Gla Glass Cathedral and I could turn over and watch T.D. Jakes the next minute. You know why? Because I think God made me a diversity. You know why? Because I love black. I love white. I love Caucasian. I, I love, I love or, or, you know, I, I love it all. You know why? Because God does. The number one known scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. Everybody say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him amen, won't perish. And I'm glad that we don't have to go to hell. Ain't you? Love changes everything and that's who God is. Love is, and love is not.
Love is absolutely a doer of the word and not a hearer only. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39 and 40 says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. I don't believe in chaos. I don't believe in confusion. I believe that the church service should be a place where that all can come in and like-minded beliefs to see God move. He's got the freedom to do whatever he wants here. But we're going to do it decently, and we're going to do it in order as a church. It's what he told us to do. Paul told us to do this through the power of the Spirit, telling Paul what to say. Everybody say done. I'm not talking D-U-N. That's how I spell it. It's D-O-N-E. Let all things be done decently in order. And I don't know if that's a ver verb. I don't know if that's an adjective. I don't know. I've read some things trying to figure it out, and Leslie has to help me with all that stuff. I think done is a, is a verb, though. I think that's action, right? It's a verb action. That's, I'm probably grade schoolish with it, but elementary is good enough. Let everything be done. Action. So what do we want to do with this series? I want us to see who God is in action I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me if you will I know I asked a while ago but today's the love day Valentine's Day maybe you're sitting in this place today and and you've sensed God's love. And if you've never known Him to be your Lord and Savior, and today would be a good day for you to allow Him to cleanse you of all unrighteousness the way I spoke about a minute ago. And I'm not going to ask you to come up here and kneel at an altar to pray, and there's no formality to this. I believe that salvation can happen whether you're on a lawnmower, whether you're driving a big rig down the road, whether you're sitting in a church service whether you're in a classroom at school or wherever you're at I believe God will meet you right where you're at because that's what love does if you don't know him today in this place nobody looking around everybody heads bowed, eyes closed does anybody here would like to say preacher you're preaching to me and I'd like to give my heart to Jesus today I'd like to make him the Lord of my life. Raise your hand. Anybody here? Today's your day. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Today's a good day. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Today's a good day. Give your life to Jesus. Don't wait. Anybody else? Come raise your hand. I appreciate those of you that raised your hand. I just sense in this room today that there's some people here that you know of some things going on in your life that are broken. That there's some pain 
there's some things that you don't even like thinking about. And as you sit here right now, that you can sense that God is telling you, let me get involved. Let me change what is broken. Let me heal and mend what the enemy meant to destroy. Whether that's your marriage, whether that's relationships with those in your family. Whether that's a turbulent workplace. You just know right now is the time. You want to say, Pastor, Pastor Ben, I'm going to lift my hand because I'm ready for some broke things to get fixed. I'm ready for God to heal what hurts me. So anybody here, raise your hand and say, that's me. Amen. Hands all over the room. Thank you, God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for all those hands. Everybody repeat this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive my sins, forgive my faults, forgive my failures. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. I'm asking you to come and heal what is broken. Fix the things that I'm experiencing. Help me to make heaven my home so I live in eternity with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love is action. Love is a verb. Go and do God's work this week. Make sure and love God and love people. Be a doer of the word this week. Hopefully something spoke to you today. And God will heal what we just spoke about. You're dismissed. Love God, love people.